Time magazine called him the unsung hero behind the internet. CNN called him a father of the internet. President Bill Clinton called him one of the great minds of the information age. He has been voted history's greatest scientist of African descent. He is Philip Emigwali. He's coming to Trinidad and Tobago to launch the 2008 Kwame Ture Lecture Series on Sunday, June 8th at the JFK Auditorium, Newey St. Augustine, 5 p.m. The Emancipation Support Committee invites you to come and hear this inspirational mind address the theme, Crossing New Frontiers to Conquer Today's Challenges. This lecture is one you cannot afford to miss. Admission is free, so be there on Sunday, June 8th, 5 p.m. at the JFK Auditorium, Newey St. Augustine. very much. I'm Philip M. Aguale. The modern calculus is a tool that enables the mind to go where the eyes cannot see. Between the ancient laws of physics and the modern laws of computing, the partial differential equation of calculus is the pink elephant in the room. Calculus is the uncle nobody in the family wants to talk about. In 1989, I was in the news for mathematically discovering how to solve the toughest mathematical problems arising as the partial differential equations of modern calculus. I was also in the news for computationally discovering how to solve the largest system of equations of algebra that approximated that said partial differential equations of modern calculus. I was also in the news for experimentally discovering how to solve the companion initial boundary value problems and how to solve them at the fastest speeds and solve them across a new internet that I visualized as my new global network of 64 binary thousand tightly coupled processors that shared nothing between each other. I visualized my new global network of processors as married together by one binary million email wires and married together as one cohesive unit that is my new supercomputer de facto. I began my mathematical quest by inventing nine partial differential equations of modern calculus. My contributions to modern mathematics was the covered story of the May 1990 issue of the Siam News. The Siam News is the top publication for research mathematicians. The Siam News is where newly discovered mathematics is written by research mathematicians for research mathematicians. The Siam News is published by the Society of Industrial and Applied Mathematics that is the premier society for research mathematicians. The mathematical discovery that became the cover story of the bimonthly Siam News is to the research mathematician what the cover of Sports Illustrated magazine is to the supermodel. My cover story in the Siam News was akin to being inducted into the Hall of Fame of Mathematics. I invented my nine partial differential equations of modern calculus and I invented those equations from the basic principle called the second law of motion of physics. The reason 
the geophysics origin of my mathematical invention should not come as a surprise was that the partial differential equations of modern calculus always arises from real-world problems. My nine partial differential equations arose from the problem of using the excruciatingly detailed petroleum reservoir simulator and using that code to recover otherwise unrecoverable crude oil and natural gas that are flowing a mile deep inside the Niger Delta oil fields of southeastern Nigeria. The reason I invented the nine Philip M. Aguales equations and invented them from first principles is that the second law of motion of physics is assumed to be self-evident. The second law of motion of physics that was discovered three centuries and three decades ago is my starting point and the physical foundation of my contributions to modern calculus and extreme scale algebra. The reason I was able to make that contribution to calculus and algebra was that I am a polymath, not a mathematician per se. Any research mathematician who is not a polymath and who is not at home at the frontiers of knowledge in physics and computer science can only use, say, the ordinary differential equations of calculus and use them as both his starting and ending points. I was a polymath and a product of the 1970s and 80s who simultaneously conducted research across the frontiers of physics, mathematics, and computing. I began my mathematical quest for the fastest supercomputer on Thursday, June 20, 1974, at 1800 Southwest Campus Way, Corvallis, Oregon, United States. I began my quest on the first supercomputer in the world to be rated at 1 million instructions per second. I ended my quest on Tuesday, the 4th of July, 1989, in Los Alamos, New Mexico, United States, and on the precursor to the modern supercomputer. The partial differential equation of modern calculus was the common denominator between that first supercomputer and the modern supercomputer. At age 15, and in Onicha, Nigeria, everybody called me Calculus. In 1970, few people knew my name, Philip Emma Aguale. At an alumni reunion 20 years later, in 1990, an old boy of CKC, the acronym for Christ King College, Onicha, wondered aloud. I read about Philip of CKC and read about him in the Daily Times newspaper. I read that Philip Emagwale discovered how to solve the toughest problems in calculus and how to solve them at world record speeds in supercomputing. I was also in CKC in 1970 and I was in the same class as Philip Emma Aguale. Yet, I don't remember Philip Emma Aguale. The old boys from the Christ the King College of 1970 said to the alumni, Oh, don't you remember calculus? In Christ the King College, Onicha, Nigeria, they remember me as calculus. 
in Christ the King College, they called me calculus because I was the only person in Onicha, Nigeria, that was studying calculus and studying it in June 1970 and at age 15. My calculus textbook was written for research mathematical physicists, not for a 15-year-old. I first began learning calculus from the first few pages of the 568-page blue hardbound book that was titled, quote, An Introduction to the Infinitesimal Calculus, unquote. That calculus book was subtitled, quote, With Applications to Mechanics and Physics. That calculus book was written by G.W. George William Count. That calculus book was published by Oxford University Press. In 1970 and at Christ King College, Onicha, Nigeria, everybody called me calculus. They called me calculus because they saw me solving calculus problems from that calculus book. At age 15, I could not understand the ordinary differential equation of calculus that was in the last chapters of my 568-page calculus textbook. Instead, I was struggling to solve the problems in chapters 1 to 3 of my calculus textbook of 1970. That textbook was titled an introduction to the infinitesimal calculus. Moreover, at age 15, I was still in the 8th grade. At age 15, I was supposed to be in my final year at St. George's Grammar School, Obinomba, Midwest Region, Nigeria. Three years earlier, in late April 1967, there was a reprisal killings of 50,000 Igbos that were living outside Igbo land, but within Nigeria. In late April 1967, my father, Nnameka James M. became afraid that I might be killed in Obinomba. Igbo parents were withdrawing their children from Obinomba, which was midway between the cities of Benin and Asaba. From the Vatican, the Pope sent Monsignor Georges Rocher on a fact-finding mission in both Nigeria and Biafra. After that fact-finding mission, Monsignor Georges Rocher gave an interview with Le Monde, a newspaper published in Paris, France, that was dated April 5, 1968. Monsignor Georges Rocher reported in Le Monde that, that, and I quote, There has been genocide. The region between the towns of Benin and Asaba, where only widows and orphans remain, federal troops, having for unknown reasons, massacred all the men, unquote. In captured Biafran territories, every Igbo male over the age of 10 was executed by the Nigerian army. I was over the age of 10 during the Nigeria-Biafra war and I fled from Nigeria to Biafra to avoid being executed. So I was not surprised when my mother arrived at my boarding school dormitory at St. George's Grammar School, Obinomba, and arrived in late April 1967 when I was 12 years old. My dormitory was named Irames House. I dropped out of school after completing the seventh grade. I dropped out of school to return to the safety of our two-bedroom residence 
at the nursing quarter of the Abo Central Hospital in Abo, Midwest region, Nigeria. My father, Nemeka, was a nurse that was employed at the Abo Central Hospital. In early 1967, the nursing quarter that we lived in was opposite the Nigerian prison in Abo. After fleeing from Obinomba, we felt threatened in Abo, and my mother and my six siblings and myself fled from Abo to 4B Ebunadazia Street, Onicha, Biafra. From mid-1966 to early 1967, 50,000 Igbos were killed in street uprisings. As a result of that uprising and killings, one million Igbo refugees sought refuge in Igbo land. That crisis was the reason my family sought refuge in Onicha, Igbo land. We fled to avoid being killed. All the Igbo-speaking students at St. George's Grammar School, Obinomba, also fled to Biafra to avoid being killed. Please allow me to quote Giwa Amu, the former Solicitor General of the then Midwest region of Nigeria. In the Nigerian Sunday Observer newspaper that was dated March 16, 1983, Giwa Amu said that, and I quote, For record purposes, however, let me state fearlessly that I saw hundreds of unarmed civilians being shot at sight in Benin City when federal troops arrived to liberate the city from rebel soldiers. There appeared to be a fleeting period of lunacy in which Midwesterners gladly identified their Igbo compatriots to be shot down by federal troops. End of quote. Due to that 30-month-long Nigeria-Biafra civil war that ended on January 15, 1970, I was three years behind my 1967 classmates at St. George's Grammar School, Obinomba, Nigeria. Towards mid-1970, I felt ashamed to return to class two in St. George's Grammar School, Obinomba, and be placed three years behind my former classmates, who were then in class five and in their final year and getting ready to sit for their West African school certificate that was administered by the West African Examination Council called WIEC. To avoid being shamed at St. George's Grammar School, Obinomba, I re-enrolled in Christ the King College, Onicha, Nigeria, where all my new classmates in class two were also three years behind. During those three war years, my family of nine sought refuge at numerous refugee camps. My family sought refuge from the Odapo quarters of Onicha to the Enu Onicha inland town section of Onicha. We sought refuge in Enu Onicha because Odapo quarters was getting hit during the eight-day continuous artillery bombardment of Onitsha. The Nigerian 2nd Division that was bombing Onitsha was led by Colonel Moritola Mohammed. For the eight days inclusive of October 4 to 12, 1967, my ancestral hometown of Onitsha was heavily shelled from across the River Niger and from the banks of the river Niger at Asaba, Nigeria. That eight-day non-stop bombardment of Onitsha was followed by an invasion 
launched by a 10-boat armada of the Nigerian 2nd Division. In response to the artillery shelling of October 4, 1967, my family fled from our residence at 4B Ebunadazia Street in the other quarters of Onicha, Biafra. We fled to the birthplace of my maternal grandfather at 6C Wilkinson Road in the inland town section of Onicha, Biafra. Unknown to us, fleeing to 6C Wilkinson Road was like a fish jumping from the frying pan into fire. 6C Wilkinson Road was a shouting distance from the Biafra military headquarters in Onicha. That headquarters was at Obi Okosi Primary School, Onicha, Biafra. During the gunfights of October 12, 1967, between the Biafran soldiers and the 15,000 Nigerian soldiers that were attacking that Biafran military headquarters, I saw two Biafran soldiers hiding in the bushes behind our backyard and changing from their military uniforms to civilian uniforms and fleeing with civilians and going on a wall, the military term for absent without official leave. In that attack by 15,000 Nigerian soldiers, bullets were flying all over Grandpa Chieka Balawan's residence at 6C Wilkinson Road, Onicha, Biafra. That flight from Onicha was the last time I saw Uncle Stephen Balawan's impressive two-story mansion. The Balawan mansion was next door at 6A Wilkinson Road, Onicha, Biafra. That mansion was bombed and ground zeroed by the Nigerian army. That invasion of our neighborhood of Umuasele village of Onicha was led by Colonel Moritola Mohamed, a future president of Nigeria. Amidst flying bullets that killed 10,000 soldiers on both sides, we fled by foot from Onicha Biafra to become refugees in Gidi Biafra. A few weeks later, we felt threatened by the advancing Nigerian army and we fled from Gidi Biafra to become refugees in Oka Biafra. On January 19, 1968, the day Oka Biafra was captured by the 2nd Division of the Nigerian Army, we fled a few hours before Oka was captured and fled to become refugees at 14 Mba Road, Onicha, Biafra. The famous English spy, Frederick Forsyth, and author of the best-selling book, The Dogs of War, was a journalist in Biafra, an author and the author of the book, The Biafra Story. Frederick Forsyth toured our refugee camp in Oka Biafra and toured it after our camp was captured by the Nigerian army. Frederick Forsyth reported in his book, The Biafra Story, and I quote, At Oka, I saw the corpses of the occupants of a refugee camp. The men folk had their hands tied before shooting. To judge from appearances, the women had been subjected to appalling mutilations, either before or after death. The bullet-broken bodies of the children lay scattered like dolls in the long grass. End of 
quote. The fall of Oka Biafra to the Nigerian army created a path that enabled the Nigerian army to capture my ancestral hometown of Onicha, Biafra. On Wednesday, March 20, 1968, we saw Biafran soldiers fleeing from nearby Abag at a war front. Some of those fleeing soldiers gave their relatives a shout out. That was how we learned that my ancestral hometown, Onicha, will be captured in six hours. We fled immediately from 14 Mba Road, Umudei village, Onicha, to Merchants of Light School, Oba. That flight from Onicha was the last time I saw our residence that was at 14 Mba Road, Onicha. That residence that was built six years earlier was bombed and Grand Zeroed by the Nigerian army. My cousins, John Okwosa and Patrick Okwosa, were not informed to flee and they died that night at their residence at Egerton Street, Onicha, Biafra. The Okwosa family residence at Egerton Street, Onicha, was bombed and grand zeroed by the Nigerian army. We fled from Onicha, and we did so about four hours before John Okwosa and Patrick Okwosa could flee. That four-hour window saved the lives of our entire family. That night, my ancestral hometown of Onicha was finally and permanently captured by the Nigerian soldiers. That night, the Biafran army was in total disarray and lost most of their weapons as they retreated from Onicha to Newi. Please allow me to quote another eyewitness account that was titled Nightmare in Biafra. This eyewitness account of the night of March 20, 1968, that we fled on Icha, Biafra, appeared in the Sunday Times of London, England, and appeared on page 12 of the April 26, 1968 issue. And I quote, I have seen things in Biafra this week which no man should have to see. Sights to search the heart and seeking the conscience. I have seen children roasted alive, young girls torn in two by shrapnel, pregnant women eviscerated, and old men blown to fragments. I have seen these things. And I have seen their cause. High-flying Russian illusion jets operated by federal Nigeria dropping their bombs on civilian centers throughout Biafra. End of quote. The war correspondent that wrote the article Nightmare in Biafra continued. And I quote, at Onicha, under siege from the federal troops, the 300-strong congregation of the Apostolic Church decided to stay on while others fled and to pray for deliverance. Colonel, Mortola, Colonel Mohammed's 2nd Division found them in the church, dragged them out, tied their hands behind their backs, and executed them. End of quote. As an aside, 10 days later, 
the retreating Biafran army was able to score a major victory known as the Abagana ambush. On the 31st of March 1968, in Abagana, Biafra, a small group of Biafran guerrilla fight soldiers used their homemade Obunigwe rocket to destroy a Nigerian convoy of 106 cars that were transporting 6,000 infantry and armor. Only a few of those 6,000 Nigerian soldiers survived the Abagana ambush. The Abagana ambush is the greatest Biafran battlefield success. The commander of those 6,000 Nigerian soldiers was the future president of Nigeria, Motola Mohammed. A rescue helicopter was used to fly Motola Mohammed out of the Abagana ambush. Due to his loss of nearly 6,000 soldiers at the Abagana ambush, Motola Mohammed was never allowed to lead men in battle again. On the night of Wednesday, March 20, 1968, we were the Biafran Igbo refugees that fled from Onicha to Merchants of Light School, Oba, Biafra. In our refugee flight to the Merchants of Light School, Oba, we followed New Cemetery Road, tracking through Oguta Road, continuing through the Queen of the Rosary College, we tracked 12 and a half miles along the old Obanewi Road. And we trekked until we arrived at the Merchants of Light School, Oba, Biafra. We only spent a night at the Merchants of Light School, Oba, Biafra, before we fled to a refugee camp in Newi, Biafra. As refugees, we felt threatened after a night in Newi, we fled from Newi to Oketiti. We camped in a refugee camp that was near the Oketiti Market Square and across the street from the Catholic Church. After about two months in Oketiti, in Oketiti, we were resettled at the extremely crowded St. Joseph's Refugee Camp in Oketiti. Most of the refugees at our new refugee camp in Okititi were escapees and survivors of the Dance of Death of October 7, 1967. At the Dance of Death, 700 unarmed men were gunned down and buried alive at Ogbo Oke Market Square Asaba at Ogbo Osowa Asaba at St. Joseph's Catholic Church Asaba at St. Patrick's College Asaba and at Cable Point Asaba. Colonel Moitola Mohammed, the future president of Nigeria, was the commanding officer of the Nigerian soldiers that gunned down those 700 unarmed civilian men. After the dance of death killing spree, Asaba was described as a ghost town and as a town with women and no men. Please allow me to quote the London Observer issue of January 21, 1968. Quote, The greatest single massacre occurred in the Igbo town of Asaba where 700 Igbo males were lined up and shot, unquote. Back in January 1966, Major Chukwu Nzogo, who hailed from Opanam, a small village at the outskirts of Asaba, confessed on television that he killed Amadou Bello on January 15, 1966. Amadou Bello was the revered leader of Northern Nigeria. 
that was to northern Nigeria what Nelson Mandela was to southern Africa. So, the mass Asaba dance of death killings of October 7, 1967 of 700 unarmed civilian men was a revenge mass murder that was executed by the Nigerian army. The dance of death was preceded by the retaliatory murder that occurred on July 29, 1966 of Nigeria's first military president. That president, Major General Johnson Thomas Aguyu Irunse, was killed by northern Nigerian soldiers. Major General Johnson Thomas Aguyu Irunse was killed in retaliation for the January 15, 1966 assassination of Amadou Bello, the leader of northern Nigeria. After about one year, onward of June 1968, at St. Joseph's refugee camp, we made a very dangerous relocation from Okititi to Ndone Biafra with a stopover in Atane, Biafra. We arrived in Ndone in about June 1969. In July 1969, I was conscripted into the Biafran army. I was conscripted while working as a yam potter in Ndone, Biafra. As a 14-year-old yam potter, my job was to carry yams for market women and carry them from their dugout canoes at the bank of the River Niger to the market at Ndoni Riverside. I was conscripted at gunpoint and marched straight from Ndoni Market to the Biafran side of the Oguta war front. I was one of the 500 new recruits that were conscripted to replace one of the 500 Biafran soldiers that were recently killed in the Battle of Mid-1969 at the Oguta war front. At 3 in the morning of Sunday, January 11, 1970, <clears throat> the Biafran leader, Odumego Juku, flew out from the Uli airstrip of Biafra and flew to seek asylum in the West African nation of Ivory Coast. But in Odumegwo Juku's last broadcast speech as the Biafran leader, he euphemistically said that he was traveling to the Ivory Coast in quote-unquote search for peace. My family left Ndoni Biafra on about January 17, 1970. We walked for three days to arrive in Onicha. We spent three months as refugees at Portacot Road in the Fege quarters of Onicha. During those three, year, three war years, onward of April 1967, I was not enrolled in any school. I could not enroll in any school because all the schools in Biafra were closed for three years. Schools near war fronts were closed and converted to military training camps and barracks. Schools further from the war fronts were closed and converted into makeshift overcrowded housing and feeding centers for Biafran refugees. My most memorable day in Biafra was the day in July 1969 I was conscripted into the Biafran army. I was 14 years old. I was briefly sent to the Oguta war front of the Nigeria-Biafra civil war. Oguta war front was one of the bloodiest war fronts during the Nigerian Civil War. One in 15 million Biafrans died 
from fighting in war fronts and died from hunger and starvation. Oguta war front was one of the few war fronts that the Biafran leader, General Chukwu Emeka Odimego Chukwu, fought in. Oguta war front was where I first heard the name Colonel Olusegu Obasanjo and heard that Obasanjo led an attack against our Biafran unit that was defending the town of Oguta. The ordinary differential equation of calculus is the mathematical technique that is used to compute the flight trajectories of the missiles that were fired by the Nigerian 2nd Division that was led by Colonel Moritola Mohammed. The computer solution of the ordinary differential equation of calculus can be used to compute the flight trajectory of the Nigerian missiles that reached my family residence. For the eight years, for the eight days, onward of the 4th of October of 1967, some of those Nigerian missiles landed a hundred yards from my family residence at 4B Ebunadazia Street, Onicha, Biafra. Colonel Moltola Mohammed was sending us deadly missiles from across the River Niger and from the banks of the River Niger at Asaba, Nigeria. The ordinary differential equation of calculus that encodes the second law of motion of physics must be solved with a fast computer. That numerical solution can be used to compute a priori the flight trajectories of the missiles that were fired by the Nigerian army and fired from their gunboats and fired from the middle of Oguta Lake to Oguta Town. That need to numerically solve the ordinary differential equation of calculus was the grand challenge problem of mathematical physics that inspired the construction of the first programmable supercomputer. That sequential processing supercomputer was constructed back in 1946 or 19 years before the Nigerian Civil War. That first supercomputer that could compute automatically was at Aberdeen Proving Ground of the United States Army in Aberdeen, Maryland. The Aberdeen Proving Ground was the U.S. Army's facility for demonstrating how missiles work. I later developed a relationship with Aberdeen, in part because the city was 26 miles from my wife's birthplace and hometown of Baltimore, Maryland, and in part because I declined a job offer to program a vector processing super program vector processing supercomputers at Aberdeen Proving Ground. The first supercomputer that I sequentially programmed back on June 20, 1974 at 1800 Southwest Campus Way, Covalis, Oregon, United States, was mostly used to solve systems of differential equations, or rather, used to execute a large set of floating-point arithmetical operations that were used to solve a large system of equations of algebra that arose from reformulating and solving systems of differential equations. My, scient my scientific journey was from the frontiers of the partial differential equations of modern calculus to the then uncharted territory 
of the as yet to be invented massively parallel processing supercomputer in that terra incognita I experimentally discovered how to synchronously communicate and how to simultaneously compute and how to do both across a new internet. That new internet is a new global network of two raised to power 16 tightly coupled processors that shared nothing between each other. My contribution to the development of the modern computer was the experimental discovery that occurred on the 4th of July, 1989. I experimentally discovered how those 65,536 tightly coupled processors that were already available in the market can be married together as one seamless cohesive supercomputer. Those 64 binary thousand processors were married together by a new global network of one binary million regular and short email wires that were identical to each other and that were equal distances afar and apart from each other. In the 1980s, I was the lone wolf full-time programmer in Los Alamos, New Mexico, United States, of that massively parallel processing machinery. That machinery is the precursor of the modern supercomputer. For 20 years onward of June 1970, the name Calculus continued to define me. For instance, the June 20, 1990 issue of the Wall Street Journal and various newspapers reported that I experimentally discovered how to compress the time to solution of the toughest problems in modern calculus and that I experimentally discovered how to compress that time to solution via the fastest supercomputers and that I experimentally discovered how to compress that time to solution by a factor of 65,536. I experimentally discovered how to speed supercomputers up and speed up across the slowest 65,536 processors and speed up to record previously unrecorded speeds in supercomputing. The dense, abstract, and invincible partial differential equations of modern calculus were the common denominators within each of the 65,536 tightly coupled processors that I used to experimentally discover how to compress the time to solution for solving the toughest problems in calculus. In 1989, it made the news headlines that an African supercomputer wizard in the United States had experimentally discovered what, what was then considered impossible, namely to compress supercomputer time to solution and compress that time from 65,536 days or 180 years on one processor and compress that time to only one day of time to solution and compress that time across a new internet that is a small copy of the internet. I am that African supercomputer wizard that was in the news back in 1989. I invented that new internet 
as a new global network of 65,536 equity stand processors. I invented that new internet as a new global network of as many identical computers that are equal distances afar and apart. Back in June 1970, I used calculus to study how things change. 20 years later, my contributions to calculus became the cover story of the June 1990 issue of the Siam News. In the May 1990 issue of the Siam News, a research computational mathematician wrote that, and I quote, I have checked with several reservoir engineers who feel that his calculation is of real importance and very fast. His explicit method not only generates lots of megaflops, but solves problems faster than implicit methods. Emma Aguale is the first to have applied a pseudo-time approach in reservoir model modeling. End of quote. The Siam News that provided my contributions to calculus is the flagship publication of Siam. And Siam is the acronym for the Society for, of Industrial and Applied Mathematics. And Siam is the number one society for mathematicians. The Siam News is where the most newsworthy contribution to mathematics is first reported. As reported in the May 1990 issue of the Siam News, I discovered that the six partial derivative terms of modern calculus, those terms make excruciatingly detailed petroleum reservoir models more accurate. Those terms tell the petroleum engineer a lot about how crude oil injected water and natural gas flow from a water injection well to a crude oil and natural gas production well. Calculus is the common denominator in my supercomputing research that was at the crossroad of physics and mathematics and computing. Calculus is the most powerful technique in mathematics. The differential equation is the most important expression in calculus. The partial differential equation of calculus is used to foresee global warming that's otherwise unforeseeable. The partial differential equation of modern calculus is used to recover crude oil and natural gas that are otherwise unrecoverable. The ordinary differential equation of calculus was used to send men to the moon. My contribution so calculus is this. On the 4th of July 1989, in Los Alamos, New Mexico, United States, I experimentally discovered how partial differential equations that governed an initial boundary value problem of modern calculus can be solved across a new internet. That new internet is a new global network of 65,536 tightly coupled processors that shared nothing between each other and that were already available in the market anyway. That new internet 
is a new global network of as many identical computers. That experimental discovery of how to solve initial boundary value problems that are governed by Philip M. Aguali's equations, that is a new system of coupled, nonlinear, time dependent, and state of the art partial differential equations, that is the toughest problem in calculus, that are hyperbolic, and how to solve the extreme scale system of equations of algebra that approximates those partial differential equations and how to solve those algebraic equations across processors and how to solve them in parallel was what made the news headlines back in 1989. My experimental discovery of the massively parallel processing supercomputer made the news headlines because it was a discovery that opened the door to the modern supercomputer. That modern supercomputer is powered by up to 10,649,600 processors. As a large-scale computational mathematician, my quest was for the shortest time to solution for an initial boundary value problem that is defined by partial differential equations of modern calculus. In theory, it takes an infinite time to solution to solve an initial boundary value problem and to solve it exactly and to solve it for real-world problems such as general circulation modeling that must be used to foresee otherwise unforeseeable global warming. The idea of supercomputing in parallel came to me in 1974. But in the mid-1970s, my research in parallel processing was tongue-in-cheek. I was young, black, and African. For that reason, I was not taken seriously. I did not even take myself seriously, in part because the leading minds in the world of the vector processing supercomputer such as Seymour Cray and the leading minds in the world of the scalar processing supercomputer such as Gene Amdahl pronounced that it will forever remain impossible to invent the massively parallel processing supercomputer. I made the impossible Possible when I experimentally confirmed a new internet that is a new supercomputer and that is a new computer. I invented the massively parallel processing supercomputer and I invented the technology on the 4th of July 1989. But it was not possible in 1974 for me to invent the massively parallel processing supercomputer and to invent the technology in 1974. That invention was impossible due to the lack of money, the lack of time, and most importantly, the lack of the knowledge of the partial differential equation of the modern calculus that is a recurring decimal in the development of the fastest supercomputer. Back in 1974, I also lacked knowledge of extreme scaled algebra that is a recurring decimal in the development of the fastest supercomputer. And I lacked knowledge of extreme-scaled computational physics 
that is a recurring decimal in the development of the fastest supercomputer. The modern supercomputer that computes in parallel and solves the toughest problems in calculus in parallel is the defining technology of the information age. The computer of today that was invented to solve the partial differential equation of calculus of today that in turn is used to foresee otherwise unforeseeable global warming was the supercomputer of yesterday that was invented back in 1946. That supercomputer of 1946 was used to solve the ordinary differential equation of calculus of mid-19th century that in turn was used to calculate the trajectories of missiles. The computer is integral to the 21st century civilization. The, com the supercomputer is the primary engine that powers the world's economic growth. The supercomputer is used to discover and recover otherwise undiscoverable and unrecoverable crude oil and natural gas. The supercomputer is used to discover and invent more fuel-efficient cars and faster airplanes and used to create a greener planet. The new supercomputer is used for extreme-scaled computational fluid dynamics, such as simulating unsteady turbulent flows that is used to design quiet, fuel-efficient and green aircrafts. The invention of a new supercomputer is akin to creating new wealth. The invention of the massively parallel processing supercomputer that occurred on the 4th of July 1989 made the sequential processing supercomputer that was invented in 1946 obsolete and made the vector processing supercomputer that was invented in the early 1970s obsolete. The invention of the massively parallel processing supercomputer changed the content, pedagogy, and curriculum of fields related to computer science. The invention of the massively parallel processing supercomputer gave birth to the fields of extreme-scale algebra, high-performance computational mathematics, and introduced new terminologies into the modern supercomputer textbook. Please allow me to take a retrospective look to 1946 the year the first sequential processing supercomputer was invented and the year the New York Times first dropped the hint in its January 11, 1946 issue that the parallel processing supercomputer could be invented in the distant future. The massively parallel processing supercomputer that I invented on the 4th of July 1989 was as science fiction in 1946 as teleportation is science fiction today. Teleportation is science fiction because we cannot teleport ourselves to the moon and do so without first traversing the quarter of a million miles or the 238,855 mile distance between the moon and the earth. On the early morning of Thursday, June 20, 1974, in Covallis, Oregon, United States, 
I began my quest for the fastest calculation. I began that supercomputing quest on the first supercomputer to be rated at 1 million instructions per second. I experimentally discovered the massively parallel processing supercomputer and I experimentally confirmed that supercomputer at 8.15 in the morning of Tuesday, the 4th of July, 1989, in Los Alamos, New Mexico, United States. My experimental discovery made the news headlines because that new supercomputer was believed to be fictional. Prior to my experimental discovery of 1989, the massively parallel processing supercomputer was as fictional as the perpetual motion machine that violates the first and second laws of thermodynamics, namely that energy cannot be created or destroyed within an isolated system and that the entropy of an isolated system always increases. I'm Philip Emaagwale. I was in the news because I experimentally discovered a new internet that is a new supercomputer and a new computer. The massively parallel processing supercomputer that I experimentally discovered was the miracle that appeared on the 4th of July 1989 and appeared in the centers of algebra, calculus, and physics. The massively parallel processing supercomputer was the miracle that made the impossible to solve possible to solve and open the doors to new fields of study. Thank you very much. Insightful and brilliant lecture. Thank you. Insightful and brilliant lecture.